and uh, let me give you a little bit of introduction of uh, who we are. As Becky said, we do spend uh, part of our time here in the valley. Um, am I still working? You can still hear me? Good. Um, we have uh, recently purchased a, a building here in, in uh, Creston, and so we're landowners, taxpayers, and we're doing our part to support Creston economy. And uh, we uh, come and visit Brendan and uh, Kristen, Maureen's son and daughter-in-law, and our little granddaughter, Kezia. So we're here about every couple of weeks, uh, it seems, because uh, not because of Brendan and Kristen, but because of Kezia, the little granddaughter. She's the one who draws. Well, we come because of them as well. And uh, we're delighted to be with you. We do worship here when we're in town. And uh, Tom gave me the opportunity to come and be a part of the series from Proverbs. Uh, it is my joy to continue to guide you in how to live this good life, this proverbial good life that I think God has so clearly portrayed for us in the record of Proverbs. Uh, I have, as Becky said, been in pastoral ministry for about 30 years. Calgary, uh, Kelowna, I uh, helped a church in Fort McMurray in recent years, as well as pastoring a, uh, a Filipino church in Calgary during a time of transition. I'm presently at Ambrose University. And uh, it's our delight, Maureen and I, to be here with you and uh, share a bit of your church life, congregational life. Um, we have the unique uh, distinction that uh, Maureen's daughter-in-law is named Kristen. I also have two sons who are married. And uh, my son, Brad, uh, is married to a girl named Kristen. And my son, John, is also married. It's his birthday today. He is married to a girl named Kristen. And uh, Brendan married Kristen, so we keep it all sort of in the family, all spelt the same way. So it was that era of Kristen's, I guess, when they were all named Kristen. But uh, you've been encouraged in this series through Proverbs through the month of, I think, July, maybe into August, to make Proverbs a part of your daily reading. Uh, Billy Graham many years ago said that his Bible reading habit was to read a chapter of Proverbs every day and to read five psalms. Uh, that was his reading, his kind of handling of the Word of God. He would read one chapter of Proverbs, the 31 of them, so you can uh, just keep track by the day of the month. It's easy if you lose track, you just go to that day and uh, read five Psalms. Why did Billy Graham do that? Because in the book of Proverbs we find God speaking to us about how to live the good life and what wisdom is all about. And it very much is a book of street-level wisdom. It gives us practical wisdom for daily living on so many different fronts. And uh, one of the areas that speaks to us in the book of Proverbs uh, very clearly is this matter of words. Now, even though I don't know many of you at all, there are several things I know uh, perfectly about you. Number one is that you talk. Every single one of you this week have been talking. Uh, you have used words. Uh, you've been using words to talk to family and friends and perhaps uh, customers, perhaps neighbors. You've been using words. You talk. Second thing I know about you, and I'm 100% sure of this, is that your gladdest moments in life and your saddest moments in life have centered around talk. They've centered around words. I think some of us, the gladdest moments in our life have been those memories of when someone spoke into our life a word of love, encouragement, support, lifted us up at a dark moment to a higher level. But some of us would say the saddest moments in our life also center around words. We can remember what people have said to us, said about us. Perhaps our saddest moments are the words that have come out of our own mouths and we wish we could have taken them back. But if we really understand the power of words, 
The Hebrews of the Old Testament understood that words are living things. I think we tend to forget that in our Western modern world. We didn't think that words are just things. They're just, they're, they're out there and they're, they're really just words and we let them go and we don't realize that in the Hebrew mind, words are living things. They have a life of their own. And that's why they can bring great gladness. Even years after we remember those words of maybe a, a father, a mother, a son, a brother, a friend. They're also living things because we can remember the words said years ago by perhaps a father, mother, brother, sister, friend that hurt us deeply. So I know you talk. I know that the saddest and gladdest moments in your life center around talk. And the third thing that I know, and this is something we share collectively, is that we live in a world that is in a world of trouble when it comes to talk. Stop and think about it. It used to be we would talk about the fact that sometimes people would fire arrows at us. They would say something that was like an arrow sent into our heart. These days, we're not using arrows. We live in a world where technologically, uh, we don't need arrows. We have machine guns. Uh, we have Facebook and Twitter and all kinds of things that we can use like email and other things that so rapidly we can fire away. And we can fire away in such a way that now we can say something and it can be heard within moments by thousands of people. Our world is in a world of trouble when it comes to words. This is why heaven has given us wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, you'll discover that this matter of words is referenced 150 times. So you take the 31 chapters of Proverbs, on average, about every chapter will have five clear statements about words. 150 references to this matter of words. So serious is this issue of our words and our need to watch our words. Fact of the matter is that every single day we are issuing unique and powerful invitations to one another to either live or to die, to triumph or to surrender. Every day is a day of invites. And we're making invitations to people around us. And our words are the things we use to make those invitations. And we're inviting people to live or we're inviting people to die. We're inviting people to triumph or we're inviting people to surrender. Every time I enter a room or a circle of conversation, every time I'm simply in the presence of another living human person, I have an invite opportunity through the simple use of words. This is significant for all of us, whether we're parents or spouses or teachers or leaders or employees or employers, students, citizens, neighbors here in the town of Creston. This is significant truth for us to understand that we all are issuing these unique opportunities. I want to share with you briefly some of the ways in which Proverbs deals with words in this issue of the fact that we travel down a road and we can go down one path or we can go down another path. So these are the passages that deal with words. Let's put up the next screen. And you can just scroll through. Proverbs 10, verse 11, the entire verse simply says this, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Clear contrast. Our mouth can be the source of a fountain of life or it can be something that brings about violence. Proverbs 12, verse 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Then Proverbs 15, 4, the verse we've given you to sort of camp on, to memorize. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. My words can either invite people into life 
or my words can diminish life, destroy life, can crush the very spirit of another person. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love life will eat its fruit. Clearly a statement, life and death. Our words have that potential. Now as we look at Proverbs, it's intriguing to note that in many of the references that deal with the tongue, with words, with our mouths, there is a clear contrast. There are invitation pathways that we can go down that are quite negative. I want to put up on the screen for you some of the areas where we find these invite pathways. And uh, there are other things stated in Proverbs, but these are some of the main ones that are dealt with. And these are all dead ends. These are not life words. These are death words. These are things that deaden the spirit, that destroy people. These are the things that uh, harm and hurt relationships. Slander and gossip. Proverbs 18, verse 8 says, The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. The reason we're so attracted to gossip is that gossip is the kind of thing, and the rest of the verse says this, they go down to a person's innermost being. We are, in a sense, attracted to gossip because it's like a dainty morsel. But it is a destroyer. It is a deadener. Slander, the same thing. There's also anger. Proverbs 15, verse 16 says, A harsh word is what stirs up anger. We've all been in the presence of angry words. We know what anger does to an environment. We know what it does to a relationship. We know what it does to a family room. We know what it does to a workplace. It stirs up more wrath, more anger. So anger is a possible pathway. Then there's boasting. I love Proverbs 27 too. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Good rule of life. If someone's going to praise you, let someone else do it. You don't need to do it. Let someone else praise you. Because boasting is is not about the other person. It is about us. It's about me. In fact, all of these things are very self-oriented. The reason we slander and gossip is because we want to bring someone else down so that we can raise ourselves up. The reason that we get angry is that we somehow want to establish our posture position of power over others. The reason that we boast is that we want to make sure people know we are in the room and we are special, we are something, and we are lifting ourselves up above others. The reason that we flatter others, it's not about them. We flatter others so that they will like us more for flattering them. Flattery is a very selfish thing. Then there's profanity. Throughout the Proverbs, we hear a lot about the fact that God views very seriously what he calls corrupt and perverse speech. And I think most of us look at our culture, and we know that in this postmodern time we live in, uh, those who speak as experts on this area of postmodernism will tell you that we should not be surprised by what is called a coarsening of daily speech. That is, and you've noticed this, speech has become more coarse, and ragged and rugged and corrupt and perverse at a general level. And that happens wherever self rises to the place of ultimate power, speech is going to follow by way of coarsening. It's going to get harsher and harsher. We're seeing that. The writer of Proverbs and God, speaking through the writers of Proverbs, is saying that God views corrupt and perverse speech very, very seriously. Then lying. We lie simply because we want to somehow protect ourselves. We want to somehow posture ourselves. 
These are dead ends. These are all dead ends. They are part of the invitation pathway that we see alive and well in our world. The writers of Proverbs says, be aware of these pathways. Do not go down these pathways because they'll not only deaden and destroy others, but they'll deaden and destroy your own soul, your own heart. So put a guard over your mouth. And as well, put a guard over your heart. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. I'm always fascinated when these, this type of wisdom is confirmed in even our world. A number of years ago, I heard a presentation by Hal Urban. Hal Urban is a high school teacher. He has now written several books on the matter of teaching. He's got one book entitled Positive Words, Powerful Results. And Hal Urban grew up in San Francisco. He then went and taught down in the L.A. school district. And he taught in some very, very rough neighborhoods and very, very rough high schools. Hal Urban's an amazing teacher. He would say that teaching begins before you begin teaching. It begins in the doorway. Hal Urban said as a teacher, every year when classes would begin, he would stand in the doorway and not allow students to go into his classroom without him contacting them with his eyes as well as putting out his hand. He would greet his students and he would call them by name. And that was his way of saying teaching begins before you actually teach. But he had a very interesting thing that he would do with all of his high school classes. At the beginning of a year, he would sit down and he would say, I want us to determine in this environment of this classroom the words that you as fellow students are going to hold one accountable for and you're going to call one another when these words are spoken. He developed what he called with his students the Dirty 30. I'm going to put it up on the screen. It's a lot of words, but... In all of his years of teaching, he discovered that these words, almost always without fail, year by year, came out from students. They said, these are the words that we, we would wish somehow were not present in this classroom. It's genius because he got them to agree and covenant that they were going to, they were going to guard one another and they were going to call one another when these words were spoken. He as a teacher didn't have to do it. He would say to his students, okay now, We've developed our dirty 30. Now it's up to you. When you hear someone in the class bragging a bit too much, you need to, in love, call them. When you hear someone swearing or using gross language, because we really don't like it, you need to call one another on it. Gossip, angry words, lies, hurtful words. I bolded some of them. These are the ones he discovered year after year stood out at the top of the list. Interesting. High school students in pretty rough neighborhoods in L.A., would say, these are the words that we know deaden us and deaden our classroom. And the main ones are swearing, gross language, hurtful words, complaining, whining, rudeness, and inconsiderateness. Then there's 30 in total in which uh, he... And you look at that and you go, that's, that's, that is the wisdom of God being confirmed in the human heart. It's instinctive in us. We know words that hurt and harm, and deaden, and destroy, and discourage. We know them. Students know them. And they labeled them the dirty 30. It's Hal Urban's way of, I think, uh, helping his students go back into some ancient literature called Proverbs, where the writer of wisdom says, these are the words that will always lead you to a dead end. We know this instinctively, and we are wise to take hold of this. But there's also invite pathways in the book of Proverbs that are on the positive side of the scale. 
And here are the invite pathways on the positive side that are helpful prompts. They are life prompts. And the man of wisdom, the woman of wisdom, knows that words can bring helpful counsel. Proverbs 10, verse 31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. See, our words can be the source of great counsel to others. They can also be the source of exhortation. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, faithful and true are the wounds of a friend. See, this matter of words is not always just speaking nice, flowery, kind words that are you know, soft and nice. There are times when we speak the truth to one another. And when we speak the truth, sometimes our, we, we wound in a sense, but we're wounding for the purpose of healing. We're not wounding to wound. We're wounding to actually save someone. We want to prompt them to live. So, you know, people will say these days, you know, my favorite Bible verse is, judge not that ye be not judged. So we buy this thing that we should never, ever judge anything. Well, that isn't what that verse is saying. That verse is saying we are not to stand in the position of God by judging someone ultimately in terms of their standing before God. That's not our business. But you know what? You're to be a discerning man or woman in your friendships, in your relationships. And when you see a friend going in dangerous territory, there are times when you're going to get in their face and you're going to have to say to them, don't do this. Don't do this. If you do this, it is going to hurt. It is going to harm you. And your friend may look at you and say, how dare you judge me? You say, I'm not judging you. I'm trying to be a faithful friend. I'm trying to warn you there is danger ahead. And sometimes our words are words of exhortation. It's a prompt for someone to actually live and not die. There's also the matter of comfort. The lips of the righteous can nourish many. Encouragement. Encouragement is simply placing courage back into the soul of someone who's lost their courage. Proverbs speaks a great deal of this. Blessing. In the Proverbs, it speaks much of words that are like silver and gold. They are things of precious value. When we speak words that lift another person up and speak value into their life, we are blessing them. And then there's healing. Proverbs 15, verse 4. Once again, the verse for this week. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. There is a pathway that we're to go down That is a pathway in which we prompt life. We lift others up. We, in essence, don't deflate people by our words. We actually inflate them. We actually pump them up. I want to point out to you that these invite pathways represent different kingdoms. On the left side of the scale, I I hope you can note that there is very clearly the realm, the language of a realm called the kingdom of self. Wherever the kingdom of self is prominent, you're going to find those kind of words. Because sin and self is, in its very nature, antisocial, anti-relationship. On this side of the scale, there's a different kingdom. There's a language of a realm that is distinctly different than the kingdom of self. It's the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God all about? The kingdom of God is about love. It is the realm of a king who speaks to us in love. It is the realm of a kingdom that began in creation with God as the creator, speaking his creation into being. Life itself is the result of a word, God's word. We go to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, 
John there places around Jesus this name. Jesus is the Word. And He entered the world and by all things, all things were created by Him and for Him. All things exist through Him. He is the Word. And what kind of Word is Jesus? Jesus said, I came to give you life. I came to prompt you to live. I didn't come to get you to surrender and give up. I didn't come to pronounce to you a word of death. I came to give you life. This kingdom of God is the kingdom of love and light. It is the kingdom that prompts life and invites us out of all the dead ends that self and sin and our culture and our society wants us to walk in. So we have here a kingdom battle that is going on. And the writer of wisdom says there's a pathway that if you're wise, you'll walk on. And it's the pathway in which you're inviting people to live and not to die, to triumph and to not surrender. Just very briefly, you might think, well, you know, Hal Urban in his high school classroom, it's a good thing to have kids note what they shouldn't do. He didn't leave it there. He would then say to his students, okay, now I want you to identify what are the kind of words that you want to see present. And he developed with his students year after year the thoughtful 30. So he said to his students, there's the dirty 30. We're going to be alert to those. We're actually going to raise the flag when those words are spoken, but there's also the thoughtful 30. In the bold are the ones that stood out for him year after year. Students are hungry and dying for encouragement. They are hungry and dying for inspiration, for people to express interest in them, and then praising, honoring, and building up. Hal Urban discovered in his classrooms in that L.A. uh, tough neighborhood, as he would greet students at the door, he discovered as he talked to them afterwards in the weeks that would follow, he would say, many of you have noticed when you come in the door, I'm standing there in the door. What do you think of that? And students would say, I'm very, I, that's awkward. I don't like that. And then he would say, you've noticed I've put my hand out. What am, I, what am I doing? He says, well, you want us to shake your hand. And then he would have students say to him, I've never in my life had an adult who's shaken my hand. I've never had an adult who's looked me in the eye and invited me in. I've never had an adult who looked at me and said, you look good today. Never. It's interesting that the human heart instinctively knows that there's a class of words and a class of expressions that bring life, that bring us to life. I'll I'll, uh, make sure that Tom uh, has this PowerPoint. If some of you want to somehow capture this, Uh, This is worth, I think, sometimes putting in your day timer or putting on your fridge or taking with you even to a workplace. Because these kind of things, if you were to sit down with your workplace colleagues, I think many of them would say, you know, there's a lot of things that float through the air here that are so diminishing and so deadening to our spirits, but we don't dare talk about it. We just let it happen. Because we may have a conversation about the fact that there are words that... I hope we could have present that would bring life to us. So here's Hal Urban's version of the Thoughtful 30. It is the language of the realm of the kingdom of God. I would challenge you to find one of those that does not belong clearly in the kingdom of God's love and light. 
And God's Word confirms this. This is why God's wisdom is always confirmed in the, in the living of life. And students, high school students, know they need words of forgiveness. They need to hear from one another, I'm sorry. In fact, if you're married here, there are, I think, not, there, you know, there's a number of words that I think you need to memorize. Um, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I am sorry. For some of you, you may have to add this is a recording because it just comes up again and again. There are certain key words that we know bring life back into relationship. So as we think about this matter of words, I want to provide you some final thoughts. These come from the book of Proverbs very briefly. Some things for us to think about when it comes to our words. The first is simply this. Watch your heart. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, there were times when my mom would say to me, watch your tongue, young man. And there's a certain degree of truth in that. We should watch our tongue, but the writer of Proverbs, seven times in the record of the Proverbs, ties the matter of words very clearly to the issue of our heart. A word problem is not a tongue problem. A word problem is a heart problem. When there is a tempest on the tongue, you can bank on it, there is turmoil in the soul. Or to use a more homespun kind of thing, if there is a skunk in the basement, the whole house will smell. And sometimes I think we, we think, you know, I need to just, de- I need to stop, I need to just deal with my tongue. And so we're always trying to deal at the outward level. We're trying to deal with what we say. And it's like a person who lives in a house that has a well deep down in the subterranean that is spoiled, is acrid, is, is unsafe, is toxic. And every time they turn on the tap, that water comes out and it smells. And they think to themselves, I need to change that tap. So they go to home hardware, buy a new tap. They put a new tap in there, shine it up, turn it on. Oh, the water's still bad. They keep going back to home hardware. And they keep getting new taps. The problem isn't the tap. The problem is deep down. That toxic element, that toxic material, that acrid kind of water needs to be addressed. How do we address that? I love what Jesus said. I'm the water of your life. I'm, I'm the one who's the subterranean spring and... It is my desire for springs of living water to well up from within you. We actually need a heart replacement. We need God to get a hold of our hearts. We need to open our hearts to God and say, God, I know I wrestle with my words and I say things. Help me to know. It's not just that I say things. It is that there is something deep down in me that requires your deep work. I need to let you have full reign in that region of my heart because my region of my heart is where a kingdom of self has taken hold. I need a new kingdom. Help me to pray every day. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, may your, may your words, you're the word of wisdom and love and light. May that word be in me. And then, and when it's in me, it will begin to come out of me. And it will wash out all the other, all the other that is there. The second principle from Proverbs is this. Say less, not more. I love the Proverb 10, verse 19, when words are many, sins are not far away. I think it's a good rule for us to just say less. Henri Nouwen, many years ago, said it is a good discipline to wonder in each new situation if people wouldn't be better served by my silence than by my words. That's a hard thing for many of us. 
Because we so want to say something. Let me tell you what I've discovered. I have seldom, if ever, regretted what I didn't say. (laughs) I have so often regretted what I did say. But I've never regretted what I didn't say. Because when you hold your tongue, you can go away and maybe you can think about it and come back and you can say it after some time and say it in the right way. Say less, not more. The final thought is this. Always speak, speak for the peak. Always speak to uplift. This is Paul's word in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of the other. A good rule is when we speak to ask, will this, will this prompt life? Will this lift up? Will this bring a sense of blessing? Will it bring recovery? Will it bring healing? Will it bring ministry? Speak for the peak. Speak to lift others up. Speak so that after that conversation there's a sense that you have provided a word aptly spoken like apples of gold in settings of silver. Another proverb, Proverb 25.11. Be not a bystander in life. Be an upstander. Be the kind of person who stands up and speaks up and lifts up people in your world. And you never know, you never know what a word of kindness can mean in the life of another. Remember, there is no such thing as a small word of kindness or harshness. Every word has a ripple effect with no logical end. And you know, most often it's the small little words that make the most difference. That word of blessing, word of healing, word of encouragement, word of exhortation. You know, your, this town, our town of Creston, needs the presence of the kingdom. Needs the language of a different realm. That realm of the kingdom of God. And you never know, you never know what that's going to do. Let me close with a simple story that I discovered this week. Some of you know Ken Blanchard. Uh, Ken Blanchard is a uh, writer and author and a leadership guy who's known around the world. Came to faith in Jesus about 10 years ago. And he became enamored by the fact that Jesus stands out as the greatest leader of all time. And he wondered when he came to faith, why don't more Christians talk about Jesus as the one who leads them in their leadership? Ken Blanchard has worked for a number of years with a woman named Barbara Glanz, and they together have talked to organizations about the matter of the power of words. Uh, Barbara Glanz uh, tells the story of, of uh, going to a group of grocery workers, uh, you know, the people who work behind the scenes, the cashiers, the stalkers, the truck drivers. She was at a conference of 3,000 of them, and she had banners up on the back, and she was talking about the power of words, talking about the issue that there's a chance to speak. You never know. There's a chance to speak a word of encouragement or healing to someone. And she encouraged these 3,000 frontline grocery workers to think about what they could do in small ways in their stores to make a difference in the life of people. So she does this event. But a month later, her phone rings. And there's a call from a frontline young man, customer service guy. He's 19 years old. And he introduces himself. He says, my name is Johnny. And Barbara Glantz says he proudly informed me that he had Down syndrome. And he told me a story. He said, Barbara, I like what you said about 
about, about words, but I didn't think I could do anything special for our customers. After all, I'm just a, I'm just a bagger. But then he said I had an idea. He decided every night when he came home from work, he could find a really good thought for the day. For the next day. And if he couldn't find one someplace, he said, I'd just make one up. Then every night, he and his dad, he said, would sit down at the computer and my dad would help me and I would take this saying, this good thought for the day, this word of encouragement, and I would type it out six times on a page on the computer. And then, and then I would sit there and I'd print off 50 pages of that. And I'd take scissors and I would cut, you know, and I'd have, I'd have a stack of 300 thoughts for the day. And then he put the stack of them, he said, I put them next to me while I worked the next day, and every time I'd finish bagging someone's groceries, I would put my saying on top of the last bag. And then he would stop, and he said, I would look the person in the eye, and I would say, I put a great saying in your bag. I hope it helps you have a good day. Thanks for coming in. It's the story of Johnny the bagger. Well, about a month after she talked to Johnny, she gets another phone call from the store manager. The store manager says, Barbara, you won't believe what's happened here in this store. I was making my rounds the other day when I got to the cashier lines. The line at Johnny's checkout was three times longer than anybody else's. It went all the way down the frozen food aisle. So I got on the loudspeaker and I asked for more checkout lines to be open, but they couldn't get any customers to move out of Johnny's line. They all said, that's okay, we'll wait. We want to be in Johnny's line. One woman came up to me and grabbed my hand and said, I used to shop in your store once a week. Now I come in every time I go by because I want to see Johnny. I want to get Johnny's thought for the day. A few months later, the manager calls back. And he says, Barbara, you're not going to believe this, but Johnny has transformed our store. He's changing the culture in this place. When the floral department has a broken flower or an unused corsage, they used to just throw it away. Now they go out in the aisles and they find an elderly woman or a little girl and they pin the corsage on them and tell them to go and have a nice day. The guys who make our shopping carts are actually working on the wheels so they actually work. The whole culture of the store is being changed. I tell you that story for several reasons. One is it's a great example of a young man, a 19-year-old who figured out that he could use words to make people's day. He could make their day, encourage them. But in another level, it's a story that communicates something about how hungry our world is for words that prompt life. Our world needs people of words. People of good, words of grace and love and forgiveness and mercy and encouragement, and exhortation. Can you imagine what would happen if we all went home and this week thought to ourselves, what could I do in my town of Creston to begin to seed different words in the lives of people? I don't know what God would prompt you to do, but would we be open to that? It may be that you have a neighbor who you say hi to every day, And that's all you've ever said. They've got the most beautiful garden on the street. Maybe something to write them a note or maybe go over and say, you know, I've said hi to you a hundred times, but 
I want to speak into your life and just say, I, I love the way you take care of those flowers. They make my day. God bless you for being who you are. I don't know what God would reveal to you and how God would lead you, but, but our words are invitations. May they be invitations for people to live, for people to triumph, to, for people to stand up and go on and live fully. Let me pray for us, and then uh, I'll dismiss you to the uh, refreshments, and uh, hopefully you've got a word for some people around you that is a good word. So let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight, today for your presence in our lives, for your word that so often interprets our lives and challenges us. And Father, most of us here honestly before you today would admit that in the last month there isn't one of us who would want the tape recording of everything we've said to be played for people around us. We acknowledge, Heavenly Father, that we often struggle with the right word. We often struggle with words that come out we wish we could take back, but we realize we can't. We thank you that you are a forgiving God of grace and you invite us to come and to bring all the things of the past and to confess them to you and allow you to take them and forgive them and wash them. But Father, for the future, we pray that you would make of us Erickson Covenant Church, this local expression, one local expression of the body of Christ. Father, we pray you'd make us a powerful army of men and women who realize every day we have an opportunity to invite others to live. May we do so with confidence, with courage, and with a desire to represent the one who is our king, the one who has invited us to live, the Lord Jesus himself. May we follow his lead and be all about life. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless. Great to be with you. Hope we have some other time later to speak again. Uh, thanks for as well letting Tom get out of here. Uh, encourage your pastor and your pastoral staff and your leadership team. That's one area where perhaps there's some words needed to encourage them these days to keep on, to serve, and uh, just love them well as they love you well. So God bless. Let's enjoy some food.